0: Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak Podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and thank you so much for joining me. Well, there's been some really great stuff going on. Last week, um, of course, we spoke to Michael Dolce and Charles Cillia from Cillia Guitars and uh, we sat in on the Michael Dolce Guitar Masterclass. That was awesome. That was so good. And uh, it was great to meet all the guys there. And uh, Michael and Charles headed down to the Melbourne Guitar Show, which by all accounts was fantastic. I was super jealous i couldn't get there but um yeah it looked like a really fantastic weekend well done rob walker and and all of your team and it was great to see some other of our guitar speak podcast friends down there uh brett kimmel was down there doing some jamming and some workshops as was bob spencer and of course michael and, and charles who who uh we mentioned hey speaking of guitar speak podcast friends michael fix Absolutely brilliant acoustic fingerstyle guitarist. Um, we interviewed him way back in episode three. I got, his, got Michael's email newsletter today, and um, there's some really great news. He's finished recording his new CD, Bending Air, which is going to be launched in uh, Europe in September, and then Australia in mid-October. And he's just about to head off to his annual Europe tour. He gets over there every year, plays a whole bunch of gigs. He'll be in Germany, Italy, Austria, and for the first time, Scotland. that's cool all the best Michael Hope it uh, is a great success Um, he's also uh, will be at the Tuscany Guitar Camp in uh, early September as well so hey if you anywhere near those um, anywhere near those countries man check out Michael Fix he's well worth looking into such a such a great guitar player now, during that interview, Michael Fix spoke about the idea of having big brother figures in your life, you know, mentors, people to encourage you along, and he spoke about Tommy Emmanuel, uh very much being one of those figures in his life. I love that idea, not only in music and guitar playing, although that's certainly certainly great, but just in life in general, the, you know, having big brothers, big sisters, people who can, uh, who can show you the way, people who can lead you along, and people who will be an encouragement to you, who will be your cheer squad. Now, today in the Guitar Speak podcast, I speak to Australian guitarist David Moyes. Now, David was and he is very much one of those figures in my life, very much a big brother figure. Now, David in the late 70s joined a little band, a little unknown band called Air Supply, and uh, within months they were smashing it in the United States uh, with hit after hit, and uh, he tells us that story. David also went on to become a a very busy session player in the Sydney session scene, uh, playing on um, film soundtracks such as the Crocodile Dundee movies. And later on, uh, touring the world again... Uh, with the Hillsong Worship Band And uh, that's where David and I met at, at church I was just one of the guitarists on the roster uh, As was David And for for me in my early 20s To play with um, such a musician Was just massive um, Not only as a guitarist But just uh, David's encouragement to me uh, Meant a lot So some years later To, to be able to sit down um, And over over the Wi-Fi, have a chat with David about his guitar career was, was awesome. So here's part one, I hope you enjoy it, my interview with David Moyes. David Moyes, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast.
1: Great to be here, mate.
0: <laughs> Great to have you. Hey, um, what led you to the guitar in the first place? When did you start playing?
1: Um, I think probably as early as seven years old, heard uh Beatles, and you know, it's that classic story of the Beatles. I think
2: <laughs> you can blame okay. them.
1: Yeah, yep. um, I, uh, I won an electric guitar from about eight years old, and my dad didn't believe that I was serious, so he chucked me a, a ukulele, and taught <laughs> me everything that he had learned during the Air Force. So, uh, I did pretty well with that, and then, um, still wasn't allowed to have an electric guitar.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They gave me a classical guitar at 10. So, I did three years of classical training and a bit of uh, Spanish right at the end. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, during that time, I, I somehow managed to get some old bits and pieces of, I think a a, a bolt-on neck Les Paul made in Japan. Oh yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, I went out and saved all my scrap metal and bought a beautiful Fender. You know, when I think about it, I've just realised that now that neck is probably worth a lot of money now. But yeah, I I, I went and glued it to this body. It was probably a '64. Oh wow! Or, or sixty-six or something crazy like that, like yeah. a really old neck. Uh, yeah. So I made a, a hybrid Les Paul Strat neck guitar, <laughs> that, and that was my first electric guitar.
0: That's great. That's cool. And, um... Oh,
1: with Fender with Fender thin line pickups too. I've still got those.
0: Oh, okay. Like uh from a Tele thin line. Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, nice. So a pretty crazy looking guitar. <laughs>
0: What happened to that guitar? Do you, do you still have that somewhere? I
1: wish I knew, Maddie. I hmm. I tell you what, if I if I could remember, if I could scratch the the uh, dark crevices of my brain and find out where that was, I would I'd try and find <laughs> it again. That's I cool. Know, I I sold it. Obviously, I gave it away. Yeah, sure.
0: And uh, what what did you plug it into?
1: Um, initially, um, I plugged that into a five-stack radiogram. Oh, okay. So the, like the audio input <laughs> See, or the mic input or whatever? I just went across the, uh, I think the, the, the center lug and one of the outside lugs of the volume control. Of, uh, oh, okay. The, so you're talking back in late 60s, early 70s, yeah. when everybody was throwing out their beautiful uh, wooden radiograms and getting transistor radios because oh, they were the cool okay. hip thing. Yeah. And it just so happened that down the end of 10th Avenue, St. Peter's, there was a dump. And um, I'd go down there after school uh, mm-hmm. and pick up these old radiograms and drag them home. Yep. And um, da- Dad would show me how to fix them up. And uh, I think my first true amplifier was, I think, four of those linked together. <laughs> and, uh, man, it sounded awesome. I mean, it just started like crazy, but it was like Hendrix all in my, in my bedroom. It was beautiful. That's great. <laughs> so so these are like old tube um, tube stereos. Were they yeah, tube well, power? yeah. Yeah, these were actually, they were all tube. Wow. Cool. But, but radios. Yeah not, not, yeah. not record players. So, okay. um, I out. still remember my first gig was two doors down. Yeah. A girl called, I don't, I don't know if she'll mind me calling her, and Jane Mattinson had her birthday party. <laughs> and my, my mate around the corner, Jim Finn, who's, who runs a band in Sydney called Finn, uh, we, we grew up together, like okay. from, from one. So, we got together and we had this raging. I think he was playing his Irish drums and I was playing my radio stack with my homemade guitar and it was great. fun.
0: <laughs> That's great. So you were doing bands like garage bands and, and stuff pretty early on. Um,
1: that, that was, yeah, that, that, the, so the first sort of band thing was really just that. Yeah, remote, cool. Jim and, I. Awesome. and then after that it was, uh, yeah, various things at high school. And, um, I think the first kind of real playing band that I was in was, um, they we were called Alky Lane. It was, um, drummer was Mark Meyer, who's from uh, Moving Pictures. The rest of the players were all sort of accountants and what have you, who never really went on with music. But Mm -hmm. uh, Mark and I went to high school together. Yeah. And um, that band did quite well in the covers kind of thing during, I think I was 14 at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Going into pubs with, you know, Big Mop of Hair, Six Foot, Barefoot. And, uh, fag hanging out of my mouth. You know? <laughs> so uh, yeah, that band did pretty well, and it ended up changing its name some years later to Parker Band. And we moved to, to Perth for a short stint. Okay. Um, and uh, we were the backing band for Mark Williams.
0: Oh okay. Mark so, Williams, the, the yeah. So were you in? Um, so you were brought up in South Australia, weren't you?
1: Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Well, I left here. At at 18. Okay.
0: So you're over in Perth, Mark Williams, the singer. Um,
2: great. We
1: were there for about two months, yeah, that, okay. with the Parker Band. And yeah. that that was that band was um, – I've actually jumped a step, but without sort of laboring it too much. Uh, the Alky Lane band, band, which was our kind of high school band, mm-hmm. turned into a band – called the Jules Funk Band, played in a bar down here in Adelaide called Jules. Okay. Um, and there was this kind of rivalry, friendly, very, very friendly. We were, we were all good mates between uh, uh, a disco called Bogarts down in Melbourne Street
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the Jules Funk Band. So in those days, uh, it was we did this for about a year. The gig was you start at nine and you finish at five in the morning and you're 20 minutes on, 15 minutes off. Okay. All night. Wow. All right? So how do you learn new songs? This is exactly what we used to do. And so all you guys listening to this, this is the best way to grow your musicianship. Uh you go upstairs in your 15-minute break with a cassette, stick it in, and uh, it might be Casey and the Sunshine Band or Sly and the Family Stone or one of these old bands, Mm and we'd we'd put on a song, and we'd all sit around and listen to the song, and you get to the point where you've got perfect pitch. You can hear... I'd listen to the guitar part, so we're just listening. We're not playing, we're just listening. Mm-hmm. Maybe jotting down a few notes if you need it, but pretty much just listening. And we listen to the song two or three or four times and go down and play it, and that's how we learn our songs.
0: Wow, that's
1: great. No charts, nothing, just just Far listen up. and go do it. So uh, it yeah. was a really great um, skill to learn, to, to really sharpen your ears.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then that's in your repertoire for next week, and then you learning yeah, a whole bunch of new keep, songs.
1: Yeah, that's it. Like so, I think it, I think it was uh, maybe four times a week, five times a wow. week. Wow. Uh, we'd do that. Yeah, throughout the set. So yeah, you're constantly adding fresh stuff.
2: Wow, um,
0: that's going to definitely yeah, sharpen so that- your playing up.
1: Yeah, well, that band, that particular band was was again mm-hmm. Mark Meyer. Uh, and then, but the keyboard player was another high school mate, Cos Russo, who who lives up down in Barrow now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Coz went on to work with uh, Richard Clapton and um, Mario Milo, Did a lot of stuff with Mario Milo. Oh, Okay. Um, Brides of Christ, uh, film score type stuff. Yeah, right. Um, doing like playing, arranging the strings, conducting them, and. and uh, all that sort of stuff. So he's still active.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, the bass player, Brian Hamilton, joined Air Supply with me later on. Not, not, a little bit longer on, later on. And, uh, in fact, he actually got me the gig. Okay. Uh, and uh, two weeks just before Lost in Love broke Yeah. in America, uh, obviously Brian was getting a little bit itchy. Um, he always wanted to play with Renee Geyer, so he got a, a um, an invitation to join her. Oh, okay. And left, left the band and joined Rene Gas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How's the Oops. timing? Oh,
1: my yeah. goodness.
0: Um, I'll, anyway. I'll, I'll definitely get to the air supply in a moment. Um, but yeah. at this stage, so you're, I don't know, around 20 years old, and you um, so you're playing four or five nights of covers a week?
1: Yeah, I was about 18 then, actually oh, okay. 17, 18,
0: yeah. So you mentioned the Beatles, but who else were you listening to? Who was sort of informing yeah. you, your guitar development?
1: Um definitely Hendrix without a doubt okay Um, so yeah I was listening to a bunch of Hendrix uh, Beatles Floyd uh, Pink Floyd yeah Um, yeah Um, in fact later Floyd records had uh, but you know previous to um, Armagama and Darker Side uh, yeah a lot of their stuff had a lot of a lot of uh, Impact on me, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mind you, I was probably doing a bit of, bit of the hooch by that time. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was kind of probably drawn a bit that way. But yeah, sure. and but also people like like funk players, um, I honestly don't know their names. But Sly and the Family Stone, yeah, had a had a big impact on me when it came to groove. Okay. Um, and that's that's groove is something uh something I'm I'm fairly passionate about actually.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've always had um, um yeah, you've always been about finding the pocket and, and just sitting just there. relax. Yeah. Relax.
1: Yeah. Actually look, there's a little anecdotal story which you mm-hmm. might want to edit in or might not want to, but it's kind of very relevant to the rest of my de- development as a musician. Um not long before we finished playing at um Jewels we had um, we, oftentimes bands, visiting bands, whether they be interstate or overseas, would pop in and get up and have a blow to have a play. And Bobby Keys is a horn player, sax player, that is just uh, amazing. And we, we were loud, and we didn't have a microphone for him. He said, ah, don't worry about it. And he blew us away. He was so, so, so loud. <laughs> anyway, that's not where I'm going. Then we had a band called Osabissa that joined, and they came, joined, uh, came to Adelaide and came up and had a bit of a blow with us. And they were kind of a psychedelic funk band. Okay. And their little conga player came up and he was playing the congas next to us and, you know, just having a bit of fun. And we were launching into Long Train Running by the Doobie Brothers. Yeah. And Davy goes off and he's doing his solo and thinking it's sounding great. And i would become aware that the congas had stopped playing. Okay. And my eyes were, you know, my eyes were shut, you know. And then I opened my eyes and this African-American guy, lovely, lovely, sweethearted fella, um, eyeballing me, screaming at me, and punching me in the chair, speak to me, speak to me. You know? and, I, and, of course, you can imagine mid-silo, you're freaking out. You know. Um, at the end of the night when we were packing up, I went, we sat down and had a chat, and he was, he was the most sweet-hardest sweet, sweet hardest guy I think I've ever met. I said, mate, what was that all about? He said, listen, Dave, you're great, you, you sound great, you're playing all the notes, everything's great, but you're not saying anything. That's all you're doing is just copying notes. You're not actually telling me a story. You're not. I'm not hearing you. Um, He said, if you haven't got something to say, don't play. Uh He said, I'm not being mean because you know technically it was fine. But if if you're not there to move someone else's heart, don't play. So that changed my world
2: from that day on.
1: Um, and I I, I'll always encourage players to think that way. You know. Mm. don't don't I mean yeah find all the cool sounds get all the all the great gadgets but you know don't get them just because they sound cool they've got to have a reason
2: yeah, they've yeah. Got,
1: they, and and you've got you as a player have to grow up and mature to the place where you actually want to say something you want to move people's hearts you mm-hmm. want to encourage people you want people to leave your concert or leave the earshot of your playing with a deposit where they go wow I, I just I feel better you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Um, That's cool.
1: Yeah, fantastic. So that was a pretty momentous time. That was. It was good.
0: <laughs> That's. I'm just picturing this guy punching in your chest as you're yeah. as you're playing <laughs> a guitar. Solo.
1: Yeah, it kind of freaked me out. <laughs> he was only a little fella. Interesting thing, being a conga player, when you shake his hands, yeah. his, his hands were soft, as soft as soft. Oh, really? So, wow. um, I, I don't know what he what his technique was. He, he was very loud, but I guess he just hit the skins in such a way that they were. In concert, if you like, with, yeah, the, with yeah. the skin itself. Wow, awesome.
0: Yeah. Hey, so you mentioned air supply. So, yeah, what what were the circumstances that? Because those guys um, started in Sydney, I believe. So, how did how did a guy from South Australia? Um, yeah.
1: Well, end they up there? they yeah the, the lads um, people kind of most people kind of I guess know the the, the history of Graham and Russell. They they were the understudies in the first um, Australian production of Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah. Um, and that's how, they, the met, that's how, that's the how they met. That's how the two started writing. Exactly. Out. Okay. Yeah. Um, in the band, um, uh, which was, um, had Rex, um, uh, Frank, Isla Smith, mm-hmm. uh, Nigel Macaro, I think, and Jeremy Paul was also something to do with the cast as well. Uh, so, but Graham was writing all these songs and, um, when he heard Russell sing, he thought, man, this is, I want, I want him to sing my songs. I want him to see, you know. And they got together and, and just started mucking around. And and uh, really, obviously, they both <laughs> realized they had something special. Um, so they, they pretty much used the house band, if you like, okay. uh, and formed uh, Air Supply and uh, released their first album. Uh, and I believe their first single, or one of their first singles, was uh, Love and Other Bruises, which... Um, which was a fantastic song. Uh, I still think it's one of one of the one of the great songs in Britain. Rod Stewart's management heard the band and heard that song Yeah. and um, th- through, I guess, through Graham, the Venn management, Bessel Reynolds, they got an opportunity to tour the States supporting Rod Stewart okay. through uh, 19, 1976. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, for whatever reason, that tour didn't go so well for them. Right. Um, uh, I'm not sure why, it's, but for whatever reason, they got back and Graham disbanded the band and moved to he moved to Adelaide and, and moved into a flat that his brother owned, I think, or one of his relatives, which happened to be uh, literally just around the corner from where I grew up. Okay. So, um, yeah, so songs like Lost in Love, All Out of Love, um, yeah, and other songs called Love, <laughs> Chan- <laughs> Ch- Chances, um, a whole heap of songs were ri- actually written in Adelaide in St. Peter's. Okay, there um, you go. So we we had. Um, I hope you can follow this story. The Jules Funk band had b- uh, backed a couple of girls called Cheetah, mm-hmm. who were in the in the chorus of Jesus Christ Superstar. Okay. Um, and they they came to Jules and did, did their thing for about a month, I think. Yeah. Um, anyway, they when they heard that Graham was looking for a new band, they told them about us. Oh, okay. Uh, so. As it would have, uh, Brian got the gig, the bass player got the gig to take Jeremy Paul's place. Air Supply's original lineup was Graham, Russell, and Jeremy Paul, three front guys, and Jeremy played bass. Okay. So Brian was pretty much Jeremy Paul's replacement. Um, they were looking for a guitar player. Brian suggested me. All um, right, great. And on a, a very balmy, lovely spring. Uh, saturday morning graham and russell rocked up at my apartment down in henley beach and we spent the day um just playing and recording on my little recording system uh songs like lost in love and uh, all out of love and dreams a whole bunch of stuff actually and i i I recorded all these guitar parts that i thought would be nice all these harmony harmony guitar lines and and uh, they really liked what i did so i got the gig I Chitter- 78 that would be yeah that was 78 that that actually happened so I I guess I officially joined the band late 78
0: yeah right and then the album Life Support came out in 79 with with all these tunes on it.
1: that's right that's right and so uh, yeah that was an interesting exercise for me Life Support because that was the first uh, what I would say my first real um, professional recording session I mean I've recorded heaps in Adelaide Mm -hmm. uh, but but not at that level with, with a producer like Charles Fisher. Okay. Um, so I thought my guitar sounds were great. Yeah. I thought my guitars were in good order. Yeah. Um, they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> they were not in good order and my guitar sounds sucked. Um, <laughs> this, so, this sounds it,
0: familiar. This, this, we'll get to this later when you produced <laughs> me many years later. But anyway, I'm sorry. Please continue. <laughs>
1: No, you're right, mate. Well, you know what I'm talking about. It's <laughs> What I discovered was is that what you're hearing through the radiogram or what you're hearing through the record yeah. player or through your headphones is not actually what <laughs> what needs to be heard yeah, when you're sure. micing and recording. Okay. So, so thus became the, the journey of just trying to discover tone and, yeah. and understand what is actually a good tone. Um, um, and even guitar setups, I mean... I'd set up heaps of guitars, but to find – I had a, this beautiful uh, 345. It was Jim Kelly's – one of Jim Kelly's old guitars. Oh, okay. I understand now why he uh, sold it. it <laughs> some, some, Somebody – it was a gorgeous guitar, sounded great, played great, but you could not play it in tune. It okay. was impossible. Yep. Um, someone had scraped down the neck so thin um, that you just bend slightly forward and the okay. whole thing would go flat. Yeah, right it was so it was it was a bit sad really but um yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway it was good peter Peter walker who is um i don't know if you know peter he's he's developed a uh, a thing called the whammy or the whammy bar i think it's a, a device you can stick on an acoustic, any guitar actually
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, basically creates a synthetic i'm not sure whether it's using like I'm not quite sure how it works, but anyway, basically, it puts a whammy bar on anything.
2: Okay. But
1: it, but it does it through some sort of uh, tone uh, manipulation. Who knows? I don't know. I shouldn't talk about it. <laughs> but it is—it is commercially available now. Go down to your local store and buy the whammy <laughs> by Peter Walker. There you go. Peter was uh, from—he used to play guitar in a band called Bakery, and yep. it was just—he was one of my heroes, actually. He was a, a, an Australian guitar playing, just a wonderful play. kind of. Kind of um, Larry Carlton-esque, I guess.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: Um, from Perth originally. Anyway, he was uh, assistant engineering at Trafalgar Studios, where yep. we recorded life support. Yep. that's so in Sydney, he helped me out. You guys had come up to, yeah. to Sydney for that. Yep. Yeah, in you know, yeah. Well, no, we'd moved. By this time, we'd already moved. Oh, okay. We'd moved to Sydney from oh. Adelaide, so I was living in Sydney by now. Um, yeah, true. That was... Uh, Trafalgar Studios down there in Trafalgar, Trafalgar Street, Annadale. Right. I'm not sure if it still exists,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but uh, beautiful studio, fantastic. Um, yeah, so that was that was a bit of a life support was a bit of a you know the, the duck thing where you're looking trying to look cool, we're paddling like crazy and underneath <laughs> trying to figure it
0: out. Yeah, right. Wow, and that album that um that as, as you mentioned earlier, that broke in in the states, I think got to number three. Um, Lost in Love got to number three on the Billboard charts. And... Love, lo-
1: Lost in Love, yeah, number three. Did it? Did it not eventually hit number one? I think it. Uh,
0: okay, I, I may have done. Yeah,
1: it, it entered the charts um, at I think number, maybe it entered at number three. It was really high, like six okay. or seven or something like that. Wow. Ended the charts in the states, uh, I think around like six with a bullet. And if it says with a bullet, it's going to go number one. Okay. And so it was. It was only in the charts. Uh, um, at not number one for a week. The next week it went number one and it stayed there forever. So we had five straight number ones. Wow. It's interesting. I, we're, we're great fans and I'm I'm good friends with the guys, uh, with Glenn and Beebe and Graham from LRB.
0: Yeah, I was going to mention them. Little River Band and to some extent ACDC probably were the only other Australian bands that had made some sort of dent in in the US market. So you guys were, were definitely one of the pioneers of... of... Yeah, opening the, yeah. the US door.
1: At the time, yeah. I mean, look, LRB. I think were doing it before us. They they were playing some pretty. They they did a lot of support gigs initially, mm-hmm. um, through the late seventies. Um, we, we we had an opportunity to, to, to do a tour through the states supporting, um, oh, yeah, somebody my age um, doing a support gig anyway for yeah. for a fairly fairly popular. Um, Artist at the, at the time, and we decided not to do it because Lost and Love" had just come into the charts and gone number one the next week. Yeah. So we actually bailed on that that tour um, and held out for a, just a few more months because we believed that if the song was that strong, we could possibly headline our own tour, and that had never been done. Wow. Where you actually have an Australian band go come in cold, headlining their own band, their own tour. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we did. So we, we never supported anybody um, to to get our name out.
2: That's amazing. Which
1: which is amazing, actually. Even to, I I understand it and, and appreciate it a lot more today than I did then. Sure. Um, and like they weren't little gigs. I mean, we were playing arenas. We were playing big stuff straight away. Um, so it was <laughs> pretty pretty amazing time, but. Yeah, look, look, huge, huge respect for the guys with Little River Band because, quite frankly, they were they were out there doing it before anyone else was doing it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that was um, um was it? Glenn, I think Glenn Wheatley was playing. Was he? Um, he was managing. He it, was yeah. managing, wasn't he? Yeah. So he was like trying, yeah. pushing down a lot of doors and.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, they. He he did a lot of really good work. Really good work. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. So here you are. You
0: um still a young bloke you've, you've sort of jumped out of four or five nights of covers a week and you're you're headlining around the states what 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 was that like for you what was that shift like
1: um it was it was pretty intense i guess um it was great look the, the truth is maddie i never i never kind of longed to be famous that was never really my goal mm-hmm. uh, still, it still never has been my goal all i ever wanted to do was just continue to grow as a player and play with other uh, musicians that were of a um, uh, greater depth uh, in in standard. I was going to say uh, greater standard, but that's probably a little bit too broad an expla you know description.
2: Okay.
1: Not just great players, but but um, look, mate, there are great amazing technicians out there. You can go down to the local pub. We used to be over oh, the way. Anyway. yeah. Go down to the local pub. And see incredible bands play. I mean, honestly, they they're just kicking it and doing original stuff in some cases. Yeah. Uh, And you think, why aren't these guys kicking it? Well, it's because they're not leaving that deposit. They're not. They're trying to sound like somebody else. Okay. They haven't discovered their own voice. um, Which is paramount if you really want to. Be a, you know, it's not about playing really fast or having all the chops. I mean, that's very important and great. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's more important is when you pick up a guitar and play a single note or strum a chord, does the air change? You know, does, 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 does something happen in, in the vicinity of your playing that causes people to melt, you know, to, to respond and that's that's actually all that matters, wow. I think. How do that's you, the purpose of music.
2: Yeah,
0: I, I hear what you're saying, but how did how did you develop that in your own playing? Then when when did you feel that was sort of happening?
1: Well, I think look, I, that did have, after our, our wonderful friend from Osabisa <laughs> <laughs> sat down and had a little chat with me. Yeah, um, I, I really did go back to Cos Russo, the keyboard player in the band back then. He gave me an exercise. He said, Dave, I'm going to give you three, uh, well, five, initially five notes. Mm-hmm. So I had the pentatonic scale, basically,
2: yeah.
1: um, to do a solo on. And you can't go out of the octave. You've just got to stay within those five notes. And we we would practice. So we'd go around and go around and around playing various changes and, um, and use them also tone, um, uh, in a... Um, Modal way, if you like, you know, working around the modes, yep. to to really get your, your ear accustomed to diff- to how the various modes sound, and but to do a solo with just five notes, and then we break it down to four notes, break it down to three notes, break it down to two notes. Wow. Now do a solo, play play something meaningful, with two notes. Yeah. Full how do you, what do you so what so what have I got to use now? I've got two notes, only two notes, not no octaves. So I have. Um, timbre i've got uh you know whether i've got a bright sound a a sharp sound soft sound loud soft um you know vibrato you know so you find yourself going to you you want to try and bring pathos you know Uh um you're trying to talk or or speak a conversation with just two notes Wow, and uh, it's not easy <laughs>
2: because
1: you because you actually have to get in touch with your own heart. Okay, you know you actually have to get kind of real with yourself. And um, uh, yeah, look the great the greatest artists, whether they be musicians, painters, sculptors, whatever,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's it's uh, not about technique; it's about emotion. Yeah, you notice I'm talking about that a lot because sure. it's it really is the key. So I think it's just really. For me, it was sitting down on the edge of my bed and, like, I'd, I'd play a, a straight C chord. I just let it, just let the, the pick fall across the strings very gently, mm-hmm. and listen to the tone. Listen to the way it sounded. Um, and let it, let it kind of get inside me. Let it. So you got to kind of stop, be still, and listen. Okay. Um Cool man. And I, there's some, cool. There's something I learned from Angus actually, and this is just from from ACDC, yeah. just by observing him. Uh, you may remember me saying this to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> if if there is one guitar player in the world um, that is relaxed, it's him. Uh-huh. I mean, he is running all over the place. Yeah. Playing Highway to Hell and all the songs. Yeah, you you have a look at his shoulders. Yeah, and his right and left hands—they are so loose. Yeah, and they're like rubber. They're just they're just relaxed as anything. Yeah, and he's a he's a very light player. He doesn't play hard. He's got a super light touch. Mm-hmm. Um, that that kind of really spoke to me too because he's in fact most players that I that I respect have a very relaxed. Uh, light touch okay it's quite yep.
0: yeah cool and yet Angus obviously still brings a lot of intensity like bucket loads um, but still from that yeah, relaxed he... kind of state
1: exactly yeah, yeah and cool. and that's why he that's why his uh, you know his, his solos and his grooves and his riffs and everything are, are so powerful they've got such incredible weight you know he can play it on an acoustic guitar and it would still have the same weight because mm-hmm. it's what's coming from in, inside him it's where it's coming from yeah right. so you just then you put that through a stack of marshalls and my goodness it's immovable it's just it's a it's a train that you can't stop
0: yeah back to the air supply then day so yes. you guys um, so you're touring the states but there's albums coming out pretty much every year i think 81 was the one that i love 82 now and forever yeah. Eighty-three yeah. greatest hits. Like, these are really big records, of really big singles, and um, yeah. So we're still touring um,
1: every year. Yeah, yeah. the the, the um, would typically go. Um, I'm trying to remember now, I think around um, June or early yeah early June ish. We'd sort of go on tour, so basically summer.
0: Summer in the
2: states. We'd had so.
1: we'd, we'd yeah we'd head over for the summer, so we'd, we'd head over a couple of weeks early, rehearse up the new show. Yeah. On a sound stage and, and go out for a um, a few months sometimes they were two months you know four months I, I remember one one tour that was uh, the last tour I did was um, i think it started off as a three month tour and kept on getting added to and it ended up being an eight month tour so wow that was that was pretty pretty tough so yeah and so during that time there's writing and then you the the, the time off was uh, you know relaxing trying to come down off the uh, the, the tempo of the, the tour because mm-hmm. it's quite it's quite a quite a pace you're on uh-huh. and recording a new album yeah sometimes we'd do some demos along the way in yeah. studios so you... uh, but most of the recording during that my time anyway was done in australia
0: okay so you come back home and get yeah. the albums together what did um what was your touring rig like back then
1: Turrig was very simple um as you mentioned before Ivan came on board and uh, supported us mm-hmm. um, we had um the the first sort of cut down like a three three five mini three three five body artist
0: an artist yeah, yeah series
1: um I think this is around the time Lee Rittner was using this the the oh, uh, kind, okay. of 335 kind of three three five kind of thing artist series yeah so we actually went over to the factory and they um, put together a hybrid guitar um, for each of us, both for Rex and I, yeah. uh, to, to what we wanted. Basically, they built it the way we wanted it. So That's awesome. Um, yeah, and they were, they were fantastic guitars. Actually, the one, there was the Artist Series Hollow Body, yeah. and I don't, know what, I, I don't know what their numbers are. Then we had another one that was just sort of like a, a double cut away um, Les Paul, Solid Body. Oh, okay. Which is still, um, I think, the Artist Series, is, is that kind of... Still the Artist Series, yeah, but without the F-hole. So it was yeah, a solid, right. yeah. And, and that guitar was just spectacular, I must say. That's probably, to this day, when it comes to solid body guitars, like a Les Paul style, yeah. it's still probably the best guitar I've ever played. It was amazing. Wow,
0: that's awesome. So when you say the factory, because you were, I think you were touring Japan at this stage as well. Is that the Ibanez factory in Japan?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, air supply was and still is massive in Asia. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we were we were absolutely adored over there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and still, even the younger ones still to this day love love the old songs. So, yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of our touring was up in Asia. Mhm. Um, so it was mainly it was mainly America and throughout Asia. Okay. It was that, they were the primary markets. Europe oh. really never took off for air supply. Okay. Not in a bit. Not in a big way.
0: Sure. So the. Um... So that semi-hollow um, artist, um, they oh, yeah. actually put your names in the inlay. Hey, on the 12th fret, it's like David Moyes. That's right. And yes. Rex Go on Rex's guitar. The Rex
1: Go, too, yeah. That's, yeah, I've that's still i um, still got that hollow body, actually. It's a beautiful guitar. It's
0: great. In fact, um, you let me use it on a session once, and uh, that was pretty exciting for me. That was cool. <laughs>
1: that's right, I remember.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I thrashed away on lots of your guitars. You're very generous. Yeah. Um, so the so you're playing the yeah these artists, um, I think I've seen you play a blazer. Did you have a blazer around that time? That's or that right. right.
1: You're right too. Yeah, I had a blue blazer. Um, that was a killer guitar. The pickups on those guitars. I mean, I swapped out the pickups for various, you know, incantations of uh, of strat type pickups, mm-hmm. but um, ended up going back to the originals. Um, okay, they were they were fantastic. They were really, uh, it, it was it was strat esque. But not really. It kind oh, of had yeah. its own had its own sound and really thick. Um, uh, the the mid range was real ballsy, very punchy. Okay. Um, and a beautiful guitar to play. It was, it was actually a lovely guitar. I don't know. I probably sold that at some stage. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know it's crazy. It, it, I've always been a, a bit of a you know if if I'm using it and it's working for me, I keep it. Once it's lost its you know now value, I get rid of it. Which um, maybe I shouldn't have done that over the years, but anyway that's what i did so <laughs>
0: <laughs> how about um what about amps and, and effects and things what would you take on the a, on a yeah H-tiny? on the road
1: we used um music man amps. Um, okay there was a two twelve uh two twelve no one twelve sorry um, and they were stuck behind little screens um so yeah look so the the music man one twelve i think it was a hundred watt amp uh-huh. or eighty five watt amp uh using six oh sixes so very, very. I mean, music man, are fairly fender-esque Fendery really kind of 80, yeah, yeah. Um, pedals was the 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 one and only tube screamer. Yes. Um The original, eight oh eight. A, um, boss. Uh, is it ce one? Oh, uh, the chorus. Chorus. The little, yeah, chorus little, sort little of chorus? thing. The first, yeah, right. Uh, no, 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 no! Large, big, big. Oh, of, um, the big gray box. The big gray box. And it's got yeah. two buttons, I think.
0: Yeah. One one's Beautiful, maybe a speed big, switch. Yeah, big big
1: fat chorus. Oh orders. yeah,
0: yeah. And it's got like the um, mains power hanging out of it. Hey, that's a Exactly. It's a series yeah. pedal. Yeah.
1: Um and that was pretty much it. Wow. It was just and uh there might have been a compressor in there as well. Um okay. I'm trying to recall, but it was a very very simple rig, super simple rig. Yeah. Um no delays not even a delay
2: mm-hmm.
1: can you believe that <laughs> amazing um these days you just you can't play unless you've got a delay that's anymore. right they don't um, let you play <laughs>
2: no
1: that's right you're not in the door and <laughs> hey, um, you
0: were um you are working with rex go uh, for a lot of this time what was it like playing with him
1: oh rex is great we see rex came initially came to australia from singapore via adelaide so he, he was always a local player here when i was like in my teens, oh, okay. young lad.
0: I um, of a Sydney guy. I mean, obviously from Singapore, because um, he's been here for a long time. But
1: well, Got he down married to um, first. Yeah, he's he's sort of a multi-internationalist uh, mate. You, you ought to see what I'm looking at right now. It's just in cr- crazy. I'm looking across <laughs> vineyards, right? Yeah. And there is this front, this storm. You might hear it. Here comes the rain, oh, yeah. Flying across the fields in front of me, and it's just insane to watch it come across. <laughs> Uh, Anyways, um, yeah, so Rex came over from Singapore to Adelaide. um, I think, I don't really know, and when you chat to him, no doubt, or if you have already, um, his history will probably make itself more clear than I understand it. Um, I know he was in Adelaide for quite a while playing in various cover bands. He married a Melbourne girl who was um, in the Navy. Uh Uh, But he was also, I believe he was... I'm not sure if he was part of Jesus Christ Superstar because I think that was Mark McEntee. Oh, okay. He was playing guitars uh, in, in Jesus Christ Superstar. I'm not sure about that. Okay. From and the he, vinyls. He went into um, the vinyls, yeah. And um, did he do some of the early air supply stuff before your time perhaps? Uh, Mark McEntee did and, and Rex did too. Okay. Yeah. So, and I'm, and I'm, not sure if, I'm not sure if they actually played together yeah, or if right. they played at separate times. Oh, yes, they did. I think they did. I think one of the band's incantations was Rex and Mark McIntyre. So when I joined the band, it was a fresh start. Yeah. Uh, We we did life support. Yeah. Um. So all all those, all the harmony parts, all those double guitar lines, uh, I wrote and put together on the first album. When we had to go on tour, Mm -hmm. obviously you can't do it. So yeah, yeah. We we got. We got um, Frank, who had done arranged all the strings to, to join the band to play keys, yeah, um, and invited Rex to come along, which was a great thing to do, obviously, because he's a wonderful experience and yeah. beautiful player. Um, so yeah, and that that became kind of the core of the band for uh, gee about about two years. They came on board for I think the last two and a half years. Okay. Of my time with the band, anyway.
0: Yeah. Cool. There's a um, so, there's a video live in Hawaii that I think was recorded around '83. So you and Rex were both on that, and um,
1: that's right. The bits of right. scene. man,
0: you guys were a great guitar team. Yeah, those harmony. we were parts a great and-
1: guitar team, and that was a killer band. And I, that's an interesting video to watch because there is there are absolutely no overdubs. That was what happened on the night. And I'll tell you what, it's pretty amazing for the first time. It was um, it was really really well done. Great playing well-recorded, great performance, so... We, uh, I think, our first tour we did together, we roomed together. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's fun. What's what happens in on the tour stays on tours. Um, <laughs> and the second uh, the second tour, uh, actually the last couple of tours, we all had our own rooms, which was kind of fun. Okay. But yeah, no, it was great. Cool. Wonderful, wonderful player, great man.
2: Yeah,
0: good stuff. Um, so you finished up, I don't know, the, around the mid '80s, sometime around there. you, you, you wrapped up with air supply.
1: Well, yeah, it was a, an, an interesting – fact, the air supply had just come through Adelaide. A month or two ago, and caught up with the guys and we, we chatted We chatted about this particular mm-hmm. episode because it was um, – uh, I mean, I've caught up with Graham and Russell whenever I was – if I was in the States and within, you know, a, a cheap enough airfare, I'd go and say hello. I've been doing that for the last, well, 30 years. Yeah, okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, we caught up and, and I hung out for a while. It, before and after the concert, what happened was um, our management changed. And this is just a bit of backstory that may or may or not want to be published, I don't know. Uh, changed from a, our Australian management to a guy called Don Arden, who was um, synonymous, synonymous with bands like uh, ELO and uh, Ozzy Osbourne. And he's the, mm-hmm. he was the, the father of Sharon Osbourne. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so he was known as which he didn't mind being called the godfather of rock and roll mm-hmm. for good reason. <laughs> and that's en- en- enough be said there. Okay, yeah. Um, anyway, he became our both band manager and personal manager as well of, of each member. So he was my manager for about a year and a half, two years. So, But when he came on board, kind of the tone mm-hmm. of the band changed quite, quite uh, remarkably, actually. Okay. Um, the spirit of the band, if you like. Uh, and, and it might, for, for me, from my view, probably not in the best way. Right. But for, for Graham and Russell, probably the best because it, it brought about, um, you know, uh, probably a little more control, a bit more income and that sort of thing, okay. which is perfectly right. I mean, that's, you know, that's those two guys, that's, they're the band, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, really. Um, even though while I was with the band, it was pretty much a band kind of an arrangement okay if you know what i mean we all had our own fan bases and we were promoted as a band rather than just graham and russell yeah anyway uh the long and short of that is that uh, on a sunday morning i received a call from uh graham i think it was um i was just getting ready to kind of head back to la for the uh 1983 tour yeah and he said oh yeah russell's on the phone rusty got on the phone and said uh dave how you going and so, yeah, good. And he said, "Listen, uh, we've we've uh, had a bit of a change of things here, and um, we've decided we found a, a new guitar player. So for anybody that actually hears this, if it gets to air, yeah. and you ever get to the situation, it's an interesting situation. Uh, <laughs> we've made a decision to get a new guitar player and bass player as well, uh, and also another two new guitar players actually. So." <laughs> Would you mind, um, say, look, it's been great, wonderful, terrific, good run. Um, see you down the line. And by the way, would you mind ringing up Rex and Dave and let them know that uh, they are oh. in the band either? Oh, and no. and that's exactly what I did. And as oh, so far goodness. as I know, to this day, neither of them have received a, a personal phone call. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's pretty heavy. It was pretty pretty trippy. Um, yeah. But, you know, I don't... Honestly, man, I don't know. Maybe these just these days. uh, It was a it was a bit of a shock, obviously, because you know you were getting ready to keep moving forward. Sure. But but things happen, you know. Things happen in life, and you just got to go with it. You go roll the punches and and move forward. And everything has its reason and purpose. Without getting too philosophical, Mm -hmm. Um, you can either let things kind of mess you up, or you know make you strong.
2: Yeah. In the right way,
1: not not bitter. so, I think it's a bit sad that neither of the guys ever received a phone call, but yeah, they did they did get letters in the mail right <laughs> so that go. was that was the end of that that okay. formation of the band, and Ralph the drummer remained for another i think nine or so years okay, um, and Frank continued on until he died uh, in 86 mm-hmm. um, of age, so uh, now pretty much the band they've got now they've had for the last. Well, the guitar player they've had for about eight years now, so um, yeah, and they do a great job, sure.
0: I think, um, I think you could argue fairly strongly um, your era and, and that of Rex's as well as probably in terms of creative output, um, uh, you know, the heyday, really. I, I think you guys,
1: yeah, yeah. I look, I'm, I do believe, and this is sort of independent of air supply, but I learned this obviously. Um, Oh, I probably learned this back, back in the Jules days, but it became very evident during my time with Air Supply, yeah. that a certain combination of players, a certain combination of people produces a certain sound.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, you can go out and change out, you know, get a different guitar player and and treat it like, oh, I just need a guitar player and he'll fill the bill. Yeah. Well, And that'll work, but you will get a different sound and it will be a, a different emotional impact on the listener, whether you like it or not.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so we, we, yeah, we had a, that particular bunch of guys, it really did become, we were all pretty high level players. We were very respectful of each other. We had loved having good fun. And, um, so that all brought, when you bring that to the stage and, yeah. and also to the creative process. Yeah. Um, see, once Rex joined the band, the albums we'd do, to, he and I would sit down together and work out the lines together. Mm-hmm. Where, where in the early days, I mean, I would just do it all myself. Sure. So, obviously, you're going to get the Rex's flavor in there then as well. So, yeah. you know, things will only, uh, if you do it well, Well, things will only grow and get better, you know. Um, but as soon as you change that, it's going to be different. Yeah. And you can hear it. When As soon as they changed the, the lineup, it mm-hmm. became Meatloaf, basically, because okay. they got Jim Steinman. Jim Steinman was writing, yeah. Yeah, he came on board, and pretty much everything they wrote for the next album or two was Meatloaf, with okay. Russell singing. okay. <laughs> um so you know it uh, and he was of course Mootloaf was huge at the time Yeah sure um yeah so look you know could it it could have been and I said this to Russell just 2 months ago I said look we could have gone two ways uh, and this is me saying yeah. my view we could have done a, a Rolling Stones and just kept going yeah as as we were and it's argued you could argue that it would have kept on going at a very, very high level mm-hmm. um, for a long, long time. Uh, as it was, what happened was they never had another, another number one. I don't think they ever had another top ten. Mm-hmm. Um, I could be wrong on that, but you know, plenty of songs released, yeah. and they were lovely songs, and yeah. people loved them. And um, not all great songs, um, but it, the thing is, they've had a career that has continued and never stopped. And they've worked really, really hard, and they've been very, very successful. And I, I, am a great admirer of them both.
0: Yeah, that's cool. And great, you're still in touch. That's that's really um yeah testament yeah. to your yeah, attitude, another... as well as as well as
2: theirs. Yeah, sometimes.
1: well, some of the other band members haven't done it quite so well, but you know. yeah,
2: yeah, that's your
1: But that's all right. You know, it's the thing is, I'm it's I'm here on this planet to do what I'm meant to do. You know, and uh, if it's with them, great. If it's not, great.
2: All
0: right, that's part one of my interview with David Moyes. Man, I loved hearing all those stories. Imagine getting punched in the chest when you're taking a solo. <laughs> that's kind of cool. Oh, man. Hey, um, some of the audio in the interview I used, some of the Air Supply tunes were from the um, from that video live in Hawaii, and I found it hard to find that clean version. So some of the audio, as you heard, you know, was a little... A little bit crunchy. A nice pristine version would sound awesome. But man, how good is the playing? How epic is the solo in "Close My Eyes"? That was the um, that was a longer um, sound excerpt I had in the middle of the interview. I feel I feel like I should talk about it a little bit. Um, so what you're hearing at first is Rex, Go, and Dave playing those harmony parts. Sounded really cool. And, um, then there's that vocal sort of bridge, and then Dave just rips it. Man, so good. Now, check out the, um, if you have a look on YouTube, you'll find you'll find clips of this. And Dave and Rex are both playing mac- matching Blue Ibanez Blazers. It's very cool. All right, next week, uh, we conclude our interview with David, and we talk about what, what he got up to after Air Supply, and, uh... As I mentioned at the front of the show, um, he ended up doing lots of really cool sessions. We find out about that. Uh, Ended up playing uh, in the Hillsong worship band and really touring the world. And, And that led to some other tours with some really notable musicians that we find out about. And we talk about David's recent induction into the South Australian Music Hall of Fame. Very, very well deserved. Alright, I'm just about finished here but uh, remember, you can check out all our past episodes if you look us up GuitarSpeak Guitar Speak Podcast at, uh, on the iTunes podcast site. You can subscribe to us there as well. You can do exactly the same thing at Stitcher. Really great way to get your podcast delivered to your device. Also, we're at guitarspeakpodcast.libsin.com. We're on Facebook We're on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you if you're enjoying the episodes, please share them around. It really helps us get the word out. But anyway, I'm out of here. My name is Matt Wakeling. Thanks for joining me on the Guitar Speak podcast, and we'll see you next time. Bye now.